0: Welcome to the Crossroads Youth Podcast. We hope this encourages and empowers you to be connected to God and one another. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. So today we wrap up our series called Kingdom Come. And last week, hopefully you guys were here to celebrate Easter at some point, um, but last week really what we answered, we answered the question, what do you believe? Uh, You remember that when Jesus rose from the dead, there was all these people that were doubting or not, and even today when we talk about the resurrection, there's people that go, well, I'm not sure if that's true or not, and you have to answer the question, what do you believe? And what we learned last week is how Jesus came, died for our sins, rose from the dead, and he kind of handled all of that for us. And the Bible tells us in Romans 10 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we will be what? Saved. You guys know that verse. So when we look at our text today, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's Acts chapter 1. We look at what happens next for the disciples and Jesus, but really we're going to look at the disciples' perspective, right? Um, You know, Jesus has brought them for the last three years through an incredible kind of like microwave of ministry. Like, they cram all the Gospels into three years. We read it sometimes and think, man, this must have taken forever. But this was a jam-packed three years of ministry. And then think what happens They walk in on Sunday morning into Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday. They're a part of the triumphal entry. Thursday night, they're sharing a meal together. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. He washes all of their feet. They go out to the garden. That night, he's arrested right in front of them. And this is when a lot of the disciples start to scatter. This is when Peter denies him three times. This is when everybody but John Runs away and hides because they're scared. Then on Friday, it seems like all their hope was lost. Jesus died. Can you imagine the agony of what Saturday felt like for the disciples? They gave all this time. They experienced this for three years straight. But then Sunday morning, they experienced this hope of the resurrection, and what happens from Sunday in your Bibles, this is John 21, okay? If you like just turn one page to the left, you'll see this. But you go in your, in your Bible, you see the resurrection, and then between John 21 and Acts chapter one, we have 40 days. 40 days where Jesus appears to over 500 people. If you remember, Jesus told the women to tell the disciples to go to Galilee, so they go to Galilee. Jesus appears to two men on the road to Emmaus. That's from the Gospel of Luke. You say, well, Matt, how do you get this 500 number? You can look in 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about, Paul tells, he appeared to over 500 believers. And so here we are in Acts chapter 1, and this is the question we're going to answer today. Last week was what do you believe? This week, what are you going to do? So in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, we see this passage. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? You think of all the disciples had been through. We just went through this, right? They'd spent the last kind of 40 days in and out of being with Jesus. He would appear to him for a while, and then he would leave, and then he would come back. And they get to Jerusalem with him. And they're thinking, man, this is it. This is the guy that we've seen feed the, feed the thousands, we've seen him heal the sick, we've seen lame start to walk, we've seen deaf start to hear, blind start to see, all of these amazing things. They were there, they felt when the entire city of Jerusalem, even though they weren't right by the cross, they felt the earthquake that happened when he died. And now he's appeared to him. He spent some time with them. He restored Peter. And you know what they're thinking now? This is it. They're on the Mount of Olives, the same place that they started on the Sunday of Passion Week, on, on Palm Sunday. And they're like, "Jesus, is this the moment? Like th- Is this it? Like, are we about to go in Jerusalem and take this place over? Like, are, are you now going to bring your kingdom? And before we, like, sell out the disciples and go, man, how did, how did they miss this? Why, why in the world would they think these things? You know, we do a lot of the same things. We want Jesus to fulfill our dreams, our goals, our ambitions. We just want to kind of, like, add Jesus to what we already want to do, Right? We keep wanting Jesus to be on our side instead of choosing to be on his side. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament of Joshua. Remember Joshua and Jericho, that whole story? Joshua is there with with all of the people of Israel, the armies of Israel. They're marching around Jericho. And you know what it says? It says, a man shows up carrying a sword. You remember what Joshua asked him? He said, hey, are you on our side or are you on the, on the side of our enemies? And the man carrying the sword says, I'm not on either of your side. I'm on, I'm on the Lord's side. He says, as the commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. Do so you know what he's saying? When Joshua is doing the Lord's work, guess what, he's on the angel's side. But the angel's clear to Joshua. I'm not choosing sides. It's not Joshua versus Jericho here. I'm doing what God calls me to do. And you know, the, the disciples are here. They're on the Mount of Olives, and they're just thinking that somehow Jesus is gonna be this new king that overthrows their oppressors. He's gonna come in, he's gonna make everything right. And so they're like, is this a time that you're gonna... You're gonna establish the kingdom of Israel? Like, are are we going to do this? And I just have to wonder if that resonates with some of us. Where it's like, we don't want to surrender to what God wants. We just want God to kind of fit into what we want. Like, if I can just have God kind of get in here and still follow my dreams, still date that girl, still go to this college, still be this for an occupation, because man, I've always wanted to make this much money and do all those things. If I could do those things, then man, that'd be great. Instead of going, God, I'll give you whatever you want. I'll follow you no matter what. Well, look what happens In verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood beside them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus who was taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go to heaven. You know, there's a lot in these four verses. He tells them a few things. First thing He tells them, He says, It's not our job to know the times or dates You know how many people have foolishly spent all kinds of money on trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back? Like, there was a guy, it was popular when I was in college because I went to college in 2001 before any of you were alive, I know, except for the people in the back. It's all good. Still got some people that are older than me. That's good. Um, But here's the thing. Uh, Sorry, that was low. Sorry, Uh, that was... It's tough. When, uh, when, you know, when you start to realize that you're close to 40, I'm gonna be 38 this year. That just sounds really old to me. I don't know, sorry, anybody else that's older, but I'm just like, man, how'd I get here? Anyways, what was I even talking about? I got all distracted on my age. Oh, so here's, here's the deal. There was this book that came out, a guy that wrote a book called 99 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in 1999. Like, there was this whole thing, called Y2K that I don't know if y'all have read about that in history books. Uh, I'm just kidding. But like, like there was this thing called Y2K, the the older people laugh at it, because every electronic device, this is what they told us, that when the clock went from 11.59, 59 seconds in 1999 to 2000, when we hit, you know, midnight on 2000 and everything changed, all of our electronic devices were going to blow up. Like, this is what everybody was convinced of. Like, we had, we had a, uh, a New Year's Eve night of worship at the church. Like, we had a generator that we brought in because, you know, all the power grid's going to go off, and all of our VCRs are going to mess up, and cassette decks, and things like that. But like, we were all so scared about it, and this guy capitalized on the moment. He's like, hey, here's 99 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1999. Did Jesus come back in 99? No, you want to know the best part? That guy wrote the same book in 1988 and had 88 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 1988. And people fell for it 11 years later. Is that nuts? But here's the thing. You can can get all bent out of shape about dates and times and listen to what Jesus says. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own Authority. You know what our job is? Our job is to be faithful until he comes back. We have a job to do. Remember the question we're answering today. Like, what are you going to do? Don't get so caught up in what's happening in the skies that you miss what God is calling you to do here on earth. Did you catch what happened to the disciples? They were so caught up in Jesus going into the into heaven and like, oh, like, Okay, well, you went into a tomb. Three days later, you came back. Like, we're gonna get that again? Like, you're gonna go up in heaven, then you're gonna parachute back down. Like, they're doing all these things. They miss the fact that angels are standing beside them. You know, this is one of the only times in Scripture that angels appear and they don't have to say to the people, do not fear. Because the disciples were totally off track. They just missed it. They didn't know that the angels even showed up. You ever get distracted by things, you get off of what you're really called to do, and you don't even realize what God is putting right around you, what what God's kind of set up in that moment? Don't get so bent out of shape about dates and times that you miss the fact that Jesus just gave you a mission. goes on. he says that, uh, or excuse me, in verse 7, not verse 7, yes, verse 7, um, Jesus tells them they'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that they'll be his witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the, end of the earth. So the disciples are standing there. They're obviously confused a little bit, even though Jesus has told them over and over again that he's leaving. But he said, well, why did Jesus have to leave, right? Let me give you just a couple things real quick. Number one, Jesus said he left to prepare a place for us. You remember John chapter 14, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me, in my Father's house are many rooms, I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will surely come back and get you so that you can be where I also am. Jesus goes to prepare a place, and you're like, good thing, Jesus grew up a carpenter, like he's up there building heaven right now, right? Like you can see him hammering nails, you know, like... That's not, that's not what he means. Like, I'll just help you out with something. Um, there's some people that, um, there's, an, there's an old version of the Bible called the King James Version. It was translated in English, very first English translation we had. It was translated in 1611, okay? So we didn't have all the most accurate transcripts by then because they just translated it from a Latin version. And so what's happened over the years, you know, hey, this was whatever that is. Is that 4,500 years ago or something like that? I don't know what it is. Um, But however long ago it was, they found other things since then. And they've known, hey, well, this is a more accurate version because it's an earlier version, all that kind of stuff. So there's a word in the King James, in John chapter 14, where Jesus says in the King James, in my father's house are many mansions, okay? Like you've, if you've grown up in church, like there's an old hymn that says, there's a mansion prepared for me in glory. It comes from the King James Version. So people have a hard time with that because that's your picture. Like Jesus is up there building HGTV DIY network mansions for all of us, right? Like that's what He's he's doing. But here's the problem. The Greek word there. For mansion is the same word of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. So the Holy Spirit's going to come dwell in your mansion, right? Like you just have this mansion inside of you. Listen, don't let this mess with you. The promise of heaven is not that, oh, well, I don't have a mansion. It's going to be terrible. No, the promise of heaven, listen to what Jesus says. The promise of heaven is that you will be with him. He says, in my Father's house, it has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back, don't miss it, and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. It's John 1, 14. That the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, made his mansion among us. It's that God came down to heaven, or excuse me, God came down to earth in the form of Jesus, and now God is with man. What heaven is, it's the promise that now man is going to be with God. It's this beautiful picture but Jesus goes to prepare a place for you. Number two, he left us so that he can continually intercede and advocate for us. In Hebrews chapter seven, verse 24 and 25, says, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So you know what this means? This means that Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father, right, in heaven, the holiness of God demands that sin would be punished. So even right now, when you sin, God is there going, this has to be punished, this has to be, and you know what Jesus reminds him? Because he lives to always intercede for you. He says, I got that. I took care of it. It's already been done. I like the way 1 John says it. 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's the hope. Like, we hope that you guys can get get over certain sins that you're dealing with. But this is the gospel. You You can't just stop there. He says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. You realize what it says about Jesus? The idea of this atoning sacrifice, that's the way the NIV translates it. You know why? Because it's trying to set this image inside of you that Jesus is, has this ongoing sacrifice that's happening for you. Meaning that when you sin, Jesus stands before the Father and he says, I've got this. How cool is that? Like how beautiful of a picture that all of our sins, past, present, and future, are taken care of because of Jesus, that his death on the cross was enough, that he lives to intercede for us. The other thing I want you to know, number three, is notice that he didn't leave us alone. In John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, But truly I tell you, it is good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. You know, when Jesus was here on earth, he was limited He was limited by space and time. So he only had a certain amount of time that he was here on earth. He only had a certain place that he could be when he was here on earth, just like you. You're not able to be in all places at all times. But the Spirit is not bound by time and space. He's able to be with all of us at all times. And what Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying, listen, my plan is not just for the 12 of you to stay right here and just huddle up in an upper room. That's not the goal of Christians. The goal of Christians is not to go, hey, the world is so bad out there, let's just all huddle up together and let's just stay right here. No, the goal of Christians is I'm sending you out, and these 12 guys, guess what? I have plans for you to go all over the world. And the only way that's possible is with the Holy Spirit living inside of them. If they were just depending on Jesus, Jesus couldn't have, just taking them all, all these different trips. At some point, you got to take the training wheels off, right? you got to start riding the bike on your own. So what do we do now? Well, Jesus left us with a message and a mission. Go back to verse 8 in Acts chapter 1. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, that word there for witness means one who who, dem, who, who has to give their testimony, right? Uh, witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This, this message that they're giving, uh, it, it, it's this idea that they're called to give an account of what they've seen. Now, I'll give you something real interesting, I don't have a lot of time to get into it, but... prior to to Acts, the book of Acts being written. The Greek word here used for witness is the word we get martyr from. Y'all know what a martyr is? Someone who dies for their faith, okay? So that's literally what it is in, in the Greek. Our English language calls that a martyr. Prior to Acts, no one was ever called a martyr for dying for their faith that what happened, it was actually Acts chapter seven that started it. When Stephen was the first Christian to die for their faith, it says that he was a witness of these things. and When Jesus tells them, you will be my witnesses, that you are going to be faithful, even if it's faithful to death. That you've got a story, you've got something to give an account for. That's why Peter and Paul, or excuse me, Peter and John said in Acts chapter four, uh, "You guys judge whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, but we cannot help but speak about all that we've seen and heard." That's this power that came. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But look what happens. He says in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Why? Think of it kind of like a when you take a rock and you throw it into water, you know, and you have this one big splash, but what happens? The ripples will go, and if the water's really still, like it will go all the way to the bank, even if it's like miles away on the other side. That's the idea. The goal was never just to stay in Jerusalem, but it was to start there. And you know that's true in your life? Like your your influence starts where you already are. It starts on your sports team, it starts in your family, it starts at your workplace, it starts with your your circle of friends. This is where you start, you start in Jerusalem, then guess what happens? Then it goes to Judea, these are people that are a little bit outside your sphere of influence, but guess what, they're people that you, you encounter every day. Uh, Jerusalem's in Judea. It's just the southern region of Israel. Then he says, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I gotta just point this out because I think it's really important. When Jesus tells them, you'll be my witnesses in Samaria, you gotta think the disciples are going, and why'd you gotta put Samaria in there? You know why? They hated the Samaritans different race these are people that that i don't like they're not like me but you know what jesus tells them the gospel is for them too it's not just for the group of people that are that are huddled up here in jerusalem guess what the gospel is for everyone who are the people that you're not willing to share the gospel with Who are the people that it's hard for you to go, you know what, this person deserves the gospel too. Those people that are harder to love, not necessarily a different race, but they're people that you're like, man, I don't really like that guy. I I gotta try to share the gospel with him. Samaria and the ends of the earth. You see, here's the reality. How are we supposed to do any of this, right? Right? Well, Jesus showed us in John chapter 14, we read the first four verses a minute ago. In verse 5 and 6, you've heard this before. Thomas speaks up. This is the one we call the doubter, remember? He speaks up and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who comes to the fa- or No one comes to the Father except through me. You know what Jesus is saying? Not only did I provide a way or the way to heaven, I've shown you the way to live this out. Jesus lived this out. And through the Holy Spirit, each of us are called to do the same. So how do we do it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we feel empowered to step out, but that's how the Holy Spirit works. When he shows up, we step out. You know, there's a lot of people that go, well, I'm just going to wait until I feel the Holy Spirit call me to do something. You know, that's not, that's not really biblically how you do something, right? The Holy Spirit responds when you take that step of faith. Like when Peter got out on the water, remember walking on water? When Peter joined Jesus on the water, it wasn't that I'm just waiting for the prompting, waiting for, waiting for God to do something, like all this sort of stuff. Jesus just said, if you want to come on the water, come on the water, and Peter took that step, and then what happened? The power of God sustained him through it. When God called Abraham, he didn't explain everything about, hey, Abraham, here's everything I'm gonna do in your life. He just says, hey, I, I, I need you to go. Go to a place you don't know, leave all the people that you do. And Abraham was obedient to what God had called him to do, and God showed up and blessed him for it. That's how it works. You trust God, and God gives you the power you need to sustain through it. So we have a choice. We can either be the mission that people need to reach with the gospel, or we can be on mission and be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what are you gonna do? It's what the ascension tells us. That's what it teaches us. Jesus and his disciples. Are you going to stand here and look in the air? Or are you going to go be a witness for Jesus? Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it to your social stories. And make sure to tag us at Crossroads Youth. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.